Jakob ist ein Mann, der alles tat, um erfolgreich zu sein. Er log, er betrog, er mobbte, er setzte alle seine Kräfte ein, um sein Ziel zu erreichen. Durch verschiedene göttliche Erlebnisse lernt er eine neue Einstellung und eine Lektion des Lebens, nämlich, dass Gott für ihn kämpft. Es ist Gott, der ihm Talente anvertraut hat. Es ist Gott, der Türen öffnet. Es ist Gott, der mit seinem Leben Geschichte schreiben wird und möchte. Darum ist Jakob so ein super Beispiel für dein und auch mein Leben. Jacob, the story is not over yet. That's the name of the series. And it's true. The story of Jacob is really the proof of God's faithfulness. I mean, God is faithful to his promises and that's why he continues the story. Despite the imperfection, the mistakes of the people. I mean, when you look at this story of Jacob, really, it's hair rising. I mean, there's injustice, deception, lies. There's strange family constellation. And there's even some vegan lentil dishes involved. I mean, to sell your first birthright, I'm okay, but do it for Chateaubriand à discrétion. <laughs> and not some vegan dishes. I mean, that's crazy. So it's really a crazy story. But this story means that, you know, God is faithful in our story too. Even if we do mistakes, the story is not over yet. God has a way where he's reaching out his hand in our imperfection and he's pulling us out. And the, the twisted things he makes straight again. The story is not over yet. Jake, why do you return? I don't know what to do. You? Yeah, I figured your writing would give me a little indication to what's up next. I, I think you know that without the book. For 21 years now, huh? Oh, come on. No, I cannot ask my brother for forgiveness. And, and, and what's the alternative? He's going to kill me. He's going to kill me even if I do ask him for forgiveness. And, and why do you know that? I mean, anything can happen in 21 years, huh? Yeah, but you don't know Esau. Okay, okay, then, then good luck running away. Good luck. Thank you for your help, man. Good luck continue writing your stupid little story. I can't. What? Finish the story. Why? You got a writer's block? <laughs> you, need some, uh, you need some help for inspiration? You smoke a little joint or something? Then? Look, you are the reason. Jake, Jake, I, I need your decision. For 21 years, you knew that the day will come where the past will catch up with you. Oh. I know you're right. 
and I dream every damn night about it. Do you, do you remember what you wrote in your first few pages of your little book here? He said that he was going to kill me as soon as our dad would die. May I remind you that he wrote that because you decided to write the story on your own, huh? So that you get to your inheritance and your blessings faster. Okay, I was young. I made a mistake. Sorry. Jake. You have to make a decision now. Look, I will only continue writing on after that. But you have to face your brother and, and, and ask him for forgiveness or just let it be. One of those two. Yeah, but you have no idea how, how scared I am. I guess the story's not over yet. The story is not over yet. I mean, if we look at the overall story that God writes with humankind, that's what we can say. The story is not over yet. We know the ending. We know that there's a happy end at the end. It's even not suspenseful anymore. We know how the whole story is ending. So we know the story is not over yet. Even if we do mistakes, it continues. But on the individual levels, talking about chapters, I think there are some chapters in our stories that actually should come to an end, but they can't before we take some decisions and we take some step to make sure that these pages are not staying empty. The story is not over yet. I think there are some stories. Today I want to have a little different look to this sentence because I think there are some stories they should be coming to an end. The question is, am I ready to make the steps towards this direction. I mean, Ezo hold that there was still a, a score to settle between Ezo and his brother Jacob. We heard about that. This story was definitely not over. For 21 years, Jacob was hiding from his brother. Jacob had stolen his first birthright, he had stolen his father's blessing. And so it's quite obvious that Esau hated his brother. We'd read that in, in Genesis 27, 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. I mean, that's some heavy stuff. And so when Jacob heard that, he flew from his brother. He flew to a foreign country called Haran to his uncle Laban. And while he's on the run, he's still on the place called Promised Land in the future. He's in Bethel. Before he's leaving the land, on the go, from, on the, he was fleeing from his brother. 
God renews his promise to Jacob, the same promise that his grandfather Abraham got. And we read that in Genesis 28, 13, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. He was lying on that land. It was in Bethel. And Bethel was part of the future promised land. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east. To the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And the other day, Jacob is rising and he's fleeing to Haran. And he stays there for 21 long years outside of the promise of God. Because this was the promise of God. I will give you this land. But he was on the run from his brother. And there he became wealthy. God blessed him anyway. So he had lots of cattle and, and, and wealth. But still... There was something staying between him and his brother. And he knew one day, when I go back into the promised land, I will have to face my brother. He knew that for 21 long years. So the way back into the promised land, he had to face his past to make sure that this chapter could come to an end. Now you must know, the promised land in the Bible doesn't stand for paradise. Sometimes people think, you know, in the Old Testament, the people came out of Egypt and then went into the promised land. And so they make this connection. You come out of Egypt, that's when, you, when you, Jesus saves you out of sin, and then you come into paradise, into heaven, and then you're in the promised land. But that's not what the Bible, that's not what the, promised land stands for in the Bible. In the Bible, the promised land stands always for the blessing of God and the place of rest. So it has nothing to do with paradise. It's not the place where everything is finished and we are with God. No, the promised land is the place where God wanted to give rest to his people. And so he said, one day I will give you the promised land. I have some blessings ready for you where you come to a rest as a people in the promised land. And so that's why when the people of God because of their unfaithfulness, God said, you will not see the promised land. And so they had to walk 40 years in the desert. You remember this story? Until the whole generation died in the desert without entering the promised land. And it says in Hebrews 3 verse 11, God says the following. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. You know, the people of God, they were not lost forever. This generation who died in the desert, they were saved. You know why? You know why I know they were saved? Because after God said to Moses, they won't enter the promised land, God said, I forgive them. I forgive them. I forgive this unfaithfulness. But still, they won't enter the land. So the people of God had this blessing and this blessing they lost it. They lost the blessing that God had ready for them. And that's the, the exact thing for you and for me today. There are some blessings that God has in store for us. 
And we can miss on these blessings of God if we're not taking the steps that are ready to continue some chapters. You know, so Jacob knew one day to go back into the promised land, into the blessings that God has in store for him. He needs to confront his brother. He needs to take these steps. He spent 21 long years in exile from his brother in Haran. Haran means in Hebrew dry land. So Haran was not really the place of blessing. Still God blessed him there, but it was not the place where he was supposed to be. His place was Canaan. The promised land, that was the place where God wanted him to be. And you know, between Haran and Canaan, there's one word, reconciliation. That's the word that brings these two places together. He was in Haran for 21 years in a dry land, hiding from his brother. He knew to come into the promised land, I need reconciliation with my brother. He knew that. And so, after 21 years, now comes the great showdown between the two. And I'll, I'll take you to this place in the Bible. It's an amazing story. In Genesis 32, first verse 1. Jacob also went on his way. You know, he was fleeing already, again, from his uncle Laban. Because, like, he did the same with him that he did with his brother a couple of years ago. So he was... Again, on the run, but that time he ran into the right direction because he ran towards Canaan. When Jacob saw them, um, and the angels of God met him, when Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanyaim. Mahanyaim in uh, Hebrew means two camps. And it seems that Jacob, when he met the angels, he felt that now is the time where these two came, camps will meet. You know, his camp and the camp of his brother. And it's interesting, the last time Jacob had an encounter with God was in Bethel. It was 20 years ago. And now that Jacob is moving back into the direction where God wants him to be, that's where he has an encounter with God again. I think that's not out of the blue. It's just the way it is. When we move towards God, where we're supposed to be, we will meet him. And that's exactly what happens. So he meets the angels and the angels tell him, now is the time. You know, it's the time to meet your brother. So Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. So we saw already my Lord. Now suddenly he's talking about my Lord. You remember he stole his first birthright? Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. Oh, I mean, 
You know, Ezo was known as the fighter, the man of the sword. And so when you hear that your brother is coming with 400 men, you got a problem. Because, you know, the messengers didn't tell him how his brother Ezo reacted when they heard the message, you know. They didn't say, oh, he was so happy to hear that you're still alive, you know. And so he gets a party ready to meet you, you know, all of that. No, he's coming with 400 men. So that's quite an army. And so we see the reaction of Jacob. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people. So we see already, okay, let's, let's divide the people so at least maybe 50% will survive, you know. And distress in Hebrew is this word tsarar. And tsarar means helplessness, to be at the mercy of someone or something. So you see Jacob for, for probably the first time in his life, didn't really know how he could make things happen. He was there knowing his brother is coming with 400 men. And so, of course, according to his character, Jacob tries something. Because, you know, that's what, what he did during his whole life. He always had his life in his own hand. And so everything that he did was always about him, you know. So everything was twisted for, for his benefit. So he tries the same thing here with his brother. And what does, what does he do? When you look at that, so we have Esau and Jacob. So Jacob knows Esau is coming with 400 men. And I'm not so sure if he loves me. So... What he does, he tries to pacify his brother with gifts. So he sends some camels, some sheep, some donkeys, goats, cows, a black cat. No, no black cat. Yes? No. Yes, there's always a black cat involved. 580 cattle. 580. So it was quite a portion of his wealth. We know that Jacob was wealthy, and wealth in that time, it was cattle. You know, it was lots of livestock. So he sent 580 cattle ahead. And what does he say? In Genesis 32, 20, I will pacify him with his gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So you see, even now, he tries to solve the situation on his own. He has an idea, well, maybe 580 animals could help, you know. So maybe he comes and says, okay, I forget about the whole thing. I, at least I have this camel. That's Jacob. That was the pattern of his life. He was always fighting with his own weapons. And you know, 21 years, it went quite all right for him. But now he knew, this time, it's the big time, the big showdown. And so, he sends these animals, and then comes the night, the night before the showdown. And I want you now to understand the context of this story. I mean, we've heard about this story a couple of times during this series. But this story happens in between the sending of the cattle and the meeting of his brother. And that was at night, and we read that in 
Genesis 32:24. So Jacob was left alone. So Jacob is alone in his darkest nights. Zarar. He doesn't know what to do. He knows there's someone coming after me. I'm not quite sure if I will survive the next day. So that's his, his situation. So he's scared. It's night. It's dark. It's the darkest night of his life. And what happens in this darkest night of his life? And the man wrestled with him till daybreak. And theologians are, are agree that it's, it's God or Jesus or, or a messenger of God. Or call it what you want. But it's, 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 it's God himself who is fighting with Jacob. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wretched and he wrestled with the man. I brought you a picture of this injury. You see? <laughs> a hip displacement. I mean, you're all, you all know about that. But what I read from a sports uh, Physicist, he says that the dislocation of the hip is one of the most painful things you can imagine. Now, wait a second. Jacob is in his darkest night of his life. Don't you think that maybe God should have come and say, come on, Jacob. Let's have a little barbecue together. You know, let's, let's, let's take one of the cattle that you didn't send ahead. And let's do some barbecue and I'll pat you on the back. And you know, Jacob, everything is going to be all right. I'm with you. Your brother loves you. And so tomorrow there will be morning. And in the morning, you and me with the majority and everything is okay. No, God comes and breaks his hip. Come on, somebody. What about that? Strange. But don't we know that God doesn't do strange things just by accident? There must be some kind of message in there. And you know what? The dislocation of the hip is significant. Because did you know that it was believed in that time that the strength of man sat in the hip? That's where the strength of man is. That's the strongest bone in your body. So, don't you think that God wanted to give Jacob some life lesson here? Because he knew now is the great showdown. You're going to face your brother. And it's not just your brother. You face your whole past. It's your whole life that comes to this climax. And God wanted to make sure that this time Jacob got it right. And so... He dislocated his hip and then came the morning because after night always comes the morning. So it came the morning and now it's a showdown. And you know, if you're interested in football and you live in Switzerland, you know about our Swiss football team. We're very strong. And there's a big showdown happening this coming Tuesday in Portugal. And you know, when it comes to these times, we, especially men, we're all experts in football. I mean, you should know, I play as a defendant with the seniors of uh, FC Muchen. So I know about football. 
But the thing is, when it comes to the showdown, the lineup is very interesting. And you know, I know our graphics team is from Germany and Austria. So that's why they got this old Swiss national team from 2006 because they don't have a clue about football in Austria. Do you hear me? They're, they're down in the second floor down. So. But the thing is, when it comes now for next Tuesday, everyone is discussing the lineup. Maybe a 4-4-1, you know, or maybe a 4-5-1. You know, I know about tactics. <laughs> you see, for instance, here, 3-3-4 three, three, and a sweeper. Who knows? So everyone, of course, if you go into a final battle, it's important to have the right lineup, to have the right people at the right place. And I'm telling this not just for fun. I'm telling this because Jacob did exactly the same. It says here in Genesis 33, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming, from, coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and the children in front, Leah and the children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. So a classical 653. That was the classical 653 from Jacob. So you see, he has his servant, Silpa, Bilha, at the front with their children, then Leah, and then her, his uh, favorite uh, wife, Rachel, with his favorite son, Joseph, there. And Benjamin is not even mentioned. Maybe he was kind of uh, just in front of the defendants, you know, like he was just waiting there. That was the lineup. And... I mean, it's funny, but it's actually, actually what he did, you know. That's, it's written in the Bible. And now I was thinking for myself, Jacob, before his encounter with God, where would have he put his name on the lineup? I believe here. Behind the defendant as a sweeper, you know. So you see the game in front of you, and if it's hard, you just run. That's what I do with the seniors of FC Mugen. If it's hard, I'm in the clubhouse drinking a beer or two and get the guys finish up the game. No, that's not what I'm doing. Of course not. But you know what? I told you before. Jacob met God and this changed his life. He was not the same again. And that's exactly the thing. You know, real heart transformation doesn't happen through training, it happens to encounter. You know, I love training. I mean, I've been teaching Bible at college for the last 10 years and I love it. But you know, information doesn't lead to transformation unless there's an encounter with a living God. And that's why, yes. And that's why in this lineup, Jacob, he places himself forward at the front, the first forward striker with a dislocated hip. Imagine Pekovic, Tuesday, he has a striker with a broken leg on the, on the field. Everyone would laugh, why? I mean, the striker, he needs to be ready to go, to run, to go. 
Jacob, he had a broken hip. You can imagine how he's, he was walking like Dave Cool last week through the office, like, oh. <laughs> he couldn't really walk. But that was exactly the thing. He couldn't walk away this time. Because he had been walking away for his whole life. And now he was standing there in front of his family. For the first time, it was not me, 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 and one billion Chinese people. It was not me first and, and everyone else. It was him standing there in front of his family, taking responsibility for what would happen. And he know, this time, I can't run away. He can't. He just couldn't. It was just physically not possible to run away. So he was staying there knowing, now comes my brother with 400 men and we'll see what happens. And we read what happened. Genesis 33, verse 3. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Seven times. You know, that's significant. When you bow down seven times, you did that in that time for kings and people that were really high esteemed. You bowed down seven times. So we see Jacob who really, you know, that's his mea culpa. That's where he says, hey, I'm so sorry about what happened. You know, this is the first time. Jacob bowing down seven times. Imagine this story. You can't even think that this man could do that. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. It's the most beautiful story of reconciliation in the whole Bible. You know, Jacob had to take some steps to make sure that this chapter with his brother could be finished. He had to have an encounter with God so that real reconciliation could happen. And you know, reconciliation always needs two sides. On the one hand, there's the confession of guilt. That was Jacob's side. He had to confess, I am guilty. I am guilty, brother. I did you wrong. And you know, that's sorry seems to be the hardest word. We know this song. And if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. And it's so easy for us sometimes to just buy some roses and put them on a table. Like the cattle, you know. We try to pacify because it's so hard to say I'm sorry. It's so hard to say I was wrong. It's so hard to say, hey, I lied about this, about that. And the other side is the readiness to forgive. And that's crazy in this story. I mean, we don't know anything about the 20 years of Esau. We know the 20 years of Jacob. But you know what? I guess Esau had his encounter with God. I'm quite sure about that. Because a couple of years ago, he said, I will kill my brother. And he had all the rights to do it, you know, by human standards. But now 20 years later, 21 years later, he's ready to forgive. He's ready to forgive. And we have this reconciliation happening. And you know, I told you at the beginning that the way into the promised land, into the blessing, into the rest of God, are sometimes some very hard and heavy decisions that we have to take so that our life actually takes the right direction. And so we, we're not surprised to see after these two brothers reconciled, 
Jacob moves on. And the first thing he's doing, we read that in Genesis 33, verse 17. Jacob, however, went to Sukkot, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. So the first thing he did after reconciliation, when the chapter was ending, he built a house. He came to a rest. You must imagine, they were nomads. These people were always walking around and for them to build a house in a place means the story is over. Point to the line. The next chapter can start. You know, tonight, I want to I wanna pray for two people, two groups of people. Of course, this story of Jacob and Esau is a, a typus of the story of the prodigal son. You know this story in the New Testament where you have the prodigal son. He's running away with his inheritance and he's doing pretty much everything wrong until the time where he knows, okay, I have to go back. I have nothing to give anymore because there was nothing left. And he knew my father has all rights to just say, hey, I don't want to see you again. And like Ezo, his father runs towards him, kisses him, and there's reconciliation. This, of course, is a picture of our father God who is ready to forgive. We can be sure about that because of the death of Jesus on the cross. The question is, am I ready to admit that I'm a sinner, that I did wrong, that I need a savior in my life? That's the biggest reconciliation. And that's the story that God wants to write with every humankind. And so tonight in a couple of, of time, I will ask you if you're here and you you haven't been reconciled to God through Jesus. I want to give you this opportunity tonight to make your peace with God, to be reconciled with the Father who loves you. He loves you so much that He sent His Son to the cross and He died there for you saying, my arms are open. I'm ready to forgive. Are you ready to admit that you need it? And then I want to pray for a second group of people. I think, you know, like this message of reconciliation is something that lots of us, we have stories in our life where we, we hold grudge against people. You know, there's been maybe in your family, your parents, your siblings, your work colleagues, your friends. So often there's things happening and, and then suddenly for years you're not talking to each other anymore. There's, there's, there's something between you. There's things that are unspoken. And, and it's like this page. I mean, it's suddenly it stops and it's not continuing. And I want to say you, I want to say to you tonight, you know, I think that God really wants to bless us. But sometimes these things stand between God's blessing and us. And so the blessing of God can't flow because there's no forgiveness. There's no reconciliation in our personal lives. And so tonight I want to pray that you will encounter, encounter God. And through His Holy Spirit, like Jacob, He can give you the courage to take steps towards reconciliation.
Because you know, of course, the story is not over yet. God will come to an end with your life. But it's a pity if half of the chapters are not completed. And if your book is full of empty pages because there's some blessings that you didn't get to receive because you were not ready to forgive. Or you were not ready to admit that you did wrong. You know, sometimes we're Jacob, Jacob, sometimes we're Esau. There's both in our lives. Sometimes people have done wrong to us and we need to be ready to forgive. In other times we have done wrong and we need to learn to admit, hey, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And I want to pray tonight that God can help you in this situation to take steps like Jacob did. Take all the risks. It's worth it. So let us close our eyes for a second. And I want to pray. You know, I prayed in the last two services and in every service, people got saved, said, yes, I want to be reconciled with God. And so I'll ask you tonight, if you're here and you know that you haven't yet accepted the forgiveness of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and your life is not reconciled with God, then I want to give you the opportunity tonight to make your peace with God. So if you're here tonight and you want me to pray for you so you can make this decision, then just hold on up your hand for a second so I can see you and I can pray for you. If there's people in here, you want me to pray for you? Yes, see your hand, I see your hand. I've seen these hands. So if you're here, you say, hey, I need this forgiveness. I need to make God Lord of my life. It's the best decision you can make. Is there anyone else? I want to pray for you. So if you hold up your hand, just pray after me. You can do that quietly in your place. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your forgiveness. I'm sorry for all the wrong I did. I'm sorry for my sins. I thank you that you forgive me. And that from now on, I can be a child of God. I want you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. From now on, I will walk with you till the end of my days. Amen. This is what the whole story is about. Reconciliation of humankind with the Lord. And now I want to pray for the second group. If you're here and there's, you know there's some stories in your life that are not finished where there needs some bold decisions to forgive then I want to pray that over the next couple of minutes when we're continuing worshiping and we're entering the presence of God that that the Holy Spirit will will help you will give you strength courage to take these steps and you will still have to do that maybe tomorrow or this coming week maybe there's a phone call that needs to be done or just a word sorry needs to be said 
And you have tried to do that in your own strength for years, but I tell you tonight, I want the Holy Spirit to be the one helping you in this direction. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your people tonight. I thank you for this amazing story of Jacob and Esau. I thank you that even Jacob came to this place where his chapter with his brother could be coming to an end. And this gives me courage for every single story in this room. Whatever this is, whatever story it is, I know that you want us to be reconciled with you and with each other. And so I pray strength into these people. I, I speak strength and wisdom into these situations. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will encounter your people now in this situation and that you open their eyes for the steps that need to be done so that reconciliation can flow. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And I want to speak out over some lives tonight. It's finished to do it in your own strength. God wants you to start doing it His way. And I know that tonight God wants to break some hips. <laughs> he wants to break some hips. In the name of Jesus. to this place from near and far because at the end of the day there's nothing else that remains what would it look like to face the consequences of something so radical what would it actually look like to follow Jesus friendships may fail heroes may fail eventually riches turn worthless there is a thirst for truth, compassion, and love. Nothing that this earth could ever quench. What is it that we can truly build our lives and hope on? There is one thing and one thing only when it's all said and done. He alone is our solid rock, our center, and our foundation.